welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Good morning. Good morning. Good to uh, be together this morning and be able to open God's Word. I invite you to turn with me to uh, Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. I'd like for us to uh, read there uh, the first nine verses. This account of the uh, tower, the Tower of Babel. <clears throat> now the whole earth had one language, in the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found <clears throat> a plain in the land of Shinar, and settled there. <clears throat> and they said to one another, "Come." Let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and butamen for mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves and let us disperse, sorry, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they purpose to do will now be impossible for them. <clears throat> Come, let us go down and, th and there <clears throat> confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord dispersed them from, uh, from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore the name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Our fathers, we come to your word this morning. I do pray that you would uh, help us to see and understand your truth you have for us this morning and help us Lord to um, have hearts that are receptive to the Spirit of God as to what you would show us and teach us and how that you would uh, uh, mold us this morning into the, to the image that uh, you're creating in Christ. We thank you uh, Father for your grace towards us in Jesus name. Amen. Well, if you <clears throat> haven't given much thought to this uh, uh, event <clears throat> before, you may be wondering, as we read through that, well, what's so bad about building a city and a tower? Uh, it might seem like God has uh, a bit overdone it with His judgment uh, upon these people. But as we look into the details of this passage, <clears throat> you'll, you'll see this morning that the real problem was a heart problem. And they had been unified in their rebellion against the Lord. And so that's where we want to begin looking this morning in this uh, section, is that is man's rebellion against God. Uh, if you go back to chapter 10, 
that chapter uh, is a genealogy, but it's not as focused on uh, the descendants themselves as where they went and the nations that they would become or the different peoples that they would become. And we have there in chapter 10 what is often referred to as the table of nations. And it shows how from Ham, Shem, and Japheth, these three sons of Noah, that the earth was populated and the different people groups uh, would be established. And this was particularly important when Moses is writing this. He's, he's, he's giving this record uh, sometime when the children of Israel, remember, come out of bondage in Egypt. God is preparing them to go into the promised land, the land of Canaan. And um, they need to know who they were. They, they need to know who these other nations were that uh, were around them that would be their enemies for the most part. And so <clears throat> this record helps, helps that nation in that day and it helps to see how it all came about. So chapter 10 is this big overview of the disbursement of, of the nations and how that uh, what we saw there at the end of chapter, not the end of chapter 11, but where we ended reading, that the, the Lord dispersed them. Well, chapter 10 is this big view of where they all went. And in most cases, you can see the the nations that come uh, out of these uh, three, three sons of Noah. Well, when we get to chapter 11 then, we kind of come focused back in on this particular event that took place that caused that to happen. And, uh, and so we're, we're going to see that uh, uh, in light of what the Lord is going to do, His plan for this nation of Israel. You remember that um, God is going to focus in, and we'll, we'll get into that more next week, Lord willing, as we begin looking at Abraham. The Lord is going to focus in on just this one man that would become this one people. And God would call them out from the world, out from the other peoples and other cultures, and He would, uh, he would focus His plan upon uh, that people. And in, in a similar way that God has focused His plan in us, the church. And He's called us out of the world and He's, he's called us to be dedicated unto Him and consecrated unto Him, set apart for Him. And so we see that beginning to happen now in this point in time. But uh, this record that we have here in the first part of chapter 11 shows us what God did, what the people did. Uh, if you go back to chapter 10 there, I want you to, I want you to see just a, just a few verses from there. Uh, it kind of stands out in this genealogy because he focuses in on one individual and tells information, whereas otherwise it just kind of lists their names and, and tells us how, you know, uh, what 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 the descendants' names were and how and all of those kind of details. But here in verse eight, we have Cush, who was um, uh, one of the the sons of of Ham. If you go back to verse six, uh, 
he was uh, evidently the, the firstborn, at least the first list there of Ham. And in verse 8, Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on the earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Eric, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. And then verse 11 talks about from there he went on to, to establish other cities. And they're all in that, this land of, um, of, Cain, of, um, land of uh, Babel, area of Babylon there, of the Chaldeans. And so we, we have some information here that uh, really gives us some insight into what happens in uh, chapter 11. And it, it really begins with a rebellious leader. And so we, we see in this uh, little bit of information that we have about this man named Nimrod that uh, he, um, he is a rebel. And even his name means to rebel. Now, now what father would name his son after the word meaning to rebel? Um, I mean, really, that's pretty bad, isn't it? I, we don't know. I mean, there's been uh, speculation about Cush that maybe uh, because his brother uh, received this curse, you remember the curse of Canaan, this, this prophetic pronouncement of what would happen to, to Canaan. Maybe, maybe uh, we don't know. Maybe he's thinking that, well, I'm not going to serve anybody um, and I'm going to name my son Rebel. <laughs> And maybe Cush, in his own heart, had rebelled against God, and he was going to teach his sons to rebel against God too. We just don't know those things. Those are all speculations. But it is, it is quite interesting that he would give him this name. And it became, from what we, what we can know, true to his character. Um, this description of being a mighty man, <clears throat> although it, it, it couldn't be used in a positive way, but from this context, we, we know that it's not positive. Uh, it's the, the same word that was used before in Genesis 6 and verse 4. You remember, before the flood of the Nephilim. Uh, these mighty men that uh, evidently were great in stature like, like giants and were violent people, violent um, rulers. Or mighty people, and so Nimrod is um, is given this same kind of description, and and evidently the first of 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 these mighty men after the after the destruction of the flood in this new world, and um, the overtalling break the divort Chavaldenar. Well. He also says that he was a, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And again, not a, not a positive statement, literally a mighty hunter in the face of the Lord. And so uh, he had this reputation. He was, he was known, and um, that, becomes a, that becomes significant as well, that uh, he had this desire for a name. He wanted to be... Um, be, be known as this mighty ruler 
And we read in the list there of uh, the various places that he, these cities that he founded. And uh, Babel was the first of those, or Babylon, and that day was the first of these uh, cities that he founded. And so that's how this rebellion began. No doubt the people's hearts were already rebellious. They just needed somebody to, to lead them in rebellion. And Nimrod was that person. Well, we, we also see that uh, he was the first to, have, to be described as having a kingdom. And so he, he was a, a ruler. And a description of what happens in Babel, together with the fact that later he would establish uh, other cities. And among those cities is Assyria. And from history, we know that the Assyrians were um, a ruthless people. Uh, they, they were uh, uh, known in their, um, for their violence and ruthlessness and warfare. And, and so <clears throat> that, I think, can be traced back to this Nimrod from the descriptions that were given here. And evidently his rule, his ability to, um, to found cities and rule came <clears throat> uh, in association with his... Um, tyrannical rule, his, his violence and his tyrannical rule. And it's very possible that he also was a, was a, a very big person like, a, like with giant features would also lend to this image that we're given here of, um, of Nimrod. Let me just say by way of application here as we think about a ruler, somebody that influenced this rebellion, we all have circle of influence. We may not ever think of ourselves as a leader, but we're, we're influencing somebody. There, there's somebody in our circles that look, look at us, and uh, they are influenced by what we do or don't do. And so we need to remember that our actions and our attitudes not only affect us, but it's affecting somebody else. Uh, some, somebody else is either being encouraged or discouraged to follow the Lord because of us. Well, it was not only this ruler, but there was also a rebellion against God's command. The, the repeated command that we have uh, from God, we, we see it with, uh, with, with Adam and Eve, and then this new world, we see, we've seen it with uh, Noah in uh, chapter 9, verse 1 is that they be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Well, the, the, fruit, the fruitful and multiply part, they, they didn't have a problem with that. But the problem they did have was to fill the earth. And as we, we saw in the first part of chapter 11, they decided to not do that. They decided to, to stay in this area of uh, Shinar, which is Babylon, the same, same place there, the same area. And they uh, decide they want to be united. Look again um, at the description there. And they migrated from the east or to, to the east, depending on the, which translations you have there. It's, it's just east, and so you have to uh, decide which, which way they're going. But in, regardless, they settle in this uh, plain, this this area, 
And notice verse 3, And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and butypen for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Well, it wasn't wrong for them to make settlements. It wasn't wrong to build cities. But here we see a collective effort to not obey what God had said. They collectively decided that we are not going to be dispersed. We're going to, we're going to stay together and we're going to uh, make a name for ourselves. And you, <clears throat> this time that we have here in uh, chapter 11 is a, is a hundred years. We know from the genealogy uh, that we have uh, in 10 and also at the end of chapter 11 that it had been a hundred years since the flood. Well, <clears throat> that's a pretty long time, but it's in the grander scheme of things, it's only about, you know, two, about three generations, uh, three or four generations of people here. And you would think that that would still be fresh in their mind. I mean, uh, these people um, are still living. That experienced firsthand, you know, what happened, and can, you know, no doubt they've heard this story over and over, and how God saved them and and, and destroyed the, the unbelievers and and all of that. But it seems that the majority of people have completely turned away from following after God. It seems it seems as if they're right back to where they were before the flood, when everyone is just totally ignoring God and doing their own will, doing their own thing. And there is no real heart to obey God. And, and there no doubt were some exceptions. Be one here, one there. But for the most part, the people have all united. Uh, there's still one, there's still one people, one language. And uh, they've united together to disobey the Lord. Well, this, uh, this rebellion extends into worship. In verse 4, it talks about the building of a tower. Now, uh, that phrase there helps us where it says, the tower with its top in the heavens. And it would indicate that this tower is for worship. I mean, there's still one people. They really don't need a tower to be, have a lookout as you would if you were looking out for the enemy, advance warning and that kind of thing. Uh, no, this, this tower was with the design that they could be close to God. They could be in the heavens. It was, we don't know what it looked like exactly, but it is likely similar to the ziggurats that uh, we know we're in this area, and there's still remnants of uh, several of these ziggurats in the Mesopotamian area. This one here has been partially restored. That's in, it's, it's called the Great Ziggurat in Ur, the Ur of the Chaldea area where um, Abraham lived. And uh, this, this restoration here is partial. It's really up to the first big main level. Let me just read you a, a note from the World Hist 
history encyclopedia. This is, is not a Christian uh, <laughs> Christian writers, but uh, they have an interesting note for us about the worship or the purpose of the ziggurats. Uh, the note says the ziggurats' purpose was to elevate the primary servant of the god, a high priest usually for a male deity and a high priestess for a goddess, to point between heaven or sorry, to a point between heaven and, and the earth. Uh, the gods were understood to live high above, and so to confer with them clearly, one needed to draw as close to the realm as possible. Once this was accomplished, the deity was thought to spend time on earth residing in his or her statue inside the temple on top of the ziggurat. And they <clears throat> don't have... Uh, a lot of the remains of those those temple areas, but uh, <clears throat> it's likely that Babel was something like that, something that the people could uh, worship, and uh, it's clear that they had it was a false worship. It's turning away from what God had given that they worshipped through what bringing bringing a sacrifice. Uh, now they are getting closer to the heavens. It may have involved, uh, you know, the worshiping of the heavenly bodies, like the sun and the stars and the and the zodiac that we that people uh, look to today for guidance and that, that kind of thing, or trying to discern what's happening in the sky to find out what's going to happen, you know, here on Earth or with us or all of that kind of thing. And that that is was common through throughout this region, but we also know in Egypt. You can think of the the, the Mayan. T temples, the big similar kind of structures, this desire to, to be close to uh, the gods or close to the heavens uh, to worship. And so basically there in Babel was the beginning of this, at least an organized beginning of this kind of worship, this substitution. Uh, instead, of, instead of listening to God and obeying God and worshiping Him, they have established their own kind of worship. And so it is, a, it is an organized rebellion against God and establishing uh, their own way. Notice also in verse 4 that there's an emphasis on um, let us and ourselves. Uh, their, their goal wasn't to make a name for God or make God's name great, or to, to, to promote His name, but to promote their own name, to make a name for themselves. And that really is a, a clue as to the, uh, the object of their worship. I mean, this, this huge ziggurat may have uh, gotten them closer to the object of their worship, but the, re the real object was in their heart. It was themselves. And we know that pride and rebellion go hand in hand. It's about a thousand years after this time when Babylon has become a great city. And you remember the children of Israel, the nation of Israel had come under a judgment of God and God used Babylon, the Babylonians, to come and take captive uh, the nation, the nation of, of Judah in the south, Jerusalem, and many were taken away, like Daniel. And you remember, um, Daniel, by God's uh, 
direction, becomes a, uh, a counselor to the king Nebuchadnezzar. And he becomes right in the top, top of this uh, advisors that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has because of his wisdom that God gives him. And one of the dreams that King Nebuchadnezzar has, God uses through Daniel to warn him about judgment that's coming up on him. And uh, we don't know, Nebuchadnezzar, he may have given that some thought. <laughs> it probably affected him for a few days or something, but a year later, we read in Daniel chapter 4, that he's uh, walking on his, the roof of his palace, and you know, he's able to see the whole, you know, the, the, the city and the kingdom and the, and the ziggurat that's there and all of the, all of the things that uh, has been built. In Daniel 4 and verse 30, he says, Is not this great Babylon which I built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? <laughs> the Bible says that while he's still speaking, God, God brings his judgment upon him. And uh, immediately, just as Daniel had revealed uh, the dream that he had had, his mind is taken away. And he thinks he's an animal, like a beast of the field. And uh, for seven years, he lives like a beast, out eating grass and being tied up. Uh, and uh, he's, <clears throat> he's reduced to, a, to, to an animal. And <clears throat> this is the pride of man, this, this boasting, this looking at what I've done, what I've become. It's, it's the pride that's in all our hearts. And uh, we, in our flesh, will revert back to that, to that pride. And it's the pride that's not thankful to God. It takes the credit instead of giving glory to God and thanksgiving to God. And it's the pride that uh, refuses to, to submit and humble ourselves before the Lord. And so it's a warning for all of us as we think about uh, these men like Nimrod and like King Nebuchadnezzar and the people who follow along in this quest for a name. And it's a good warning for us to remember to humble ourselves before the Lord, to serve Him and obey Him and to make His name great. Well, I want to continue to this the second half of this um, this section in Genesis chapter 11, the Hebrew grammarians will, will, will tell us that this section from verse 1 through 8 in particular is highly organized in its structure. It uses uh, word play. It uses um, this structure to highlight the, the, the contrast and the reversal in this, in this event, this uh, arrangement here. Verses 1 to 4 shows us the, the actions of men apart from God. In verse 8, we see the action of God to confound uh, the plans of man. And so verse 5 is a, is a focal point of this, of this contrast. We read again, it says, The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And, and there's an irony there that uh, 
and that statement that God came down. And uh, the people, they, they what? They thought they could, would lift themselves up. We're going to build this tower to the heavens, or in the heavens, and we're, we're going to build a name for ourselves. We're going to be exalted. But God has to come down to, to see what, to be able to see what they're doing. That's the kind of the, the word play there in that, in, that, uh, in that verse. And we also see there this phrase, um, uh, the sons or the children of man, which is literally the sons of Adam, or the, the sons of the dirt. So what Adam means is from the, from the dirt. Because he was made from the, the dirt, right? He took the, the, the clay or the soil and made Adam. And that phrase there, the, the, the sons of Adam or the children of man, is, is used to as an as a indicator that we are humanity. We're, we're man. Man sometimes exalts himself, thinks he's a god, but we're, but we're man. And we're depraved in our hearts. And the Lord, in this phrase, looks to see what the sons of Adam, the children of man, are doing. It's, it's used uh, other times in the Old Testament in particular. Uh, some, I think it's 19 and also in 52, Use this phrase that God looks looks down at the at the sons of Adam to see if there's any that is righteous, and it says there's no, there's not one, or see if there's any that does right or good. No, there's there's not one. And Paul, you remember, will pick up that phrase in Romans three and many other Old Testament uh, verses to show the sinfulness of man, the depravity of man. That within us, there is nothing good. That we're sinful to the core. <laughs> and if you leave man, what will they do? They Just like before the flood, just like after the flood, within a hundred years, they're already going their own way. They've already devised their own plan to rebel against God, to establish their own worship. And, <clears throat> and so we see this this situation. And so, apart from God's intervention, there is no hope for man. Apart from God intervening, there is no, there is no chance that man will seek and find God. Well, we know that God is omnipresent. He's omniscient. Omnipresent, He's, he's everywhere present. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. God didn't need to come down to find out what they were doing. He already knew what they were doing. He could already see what they were doing. But we have this language, this figurative language, to help us to, to see the contrast between what man thought they were and what they really were, and between their actions and God's actions. And so we see this figurative, figurative language of God coming down to see what these children are doing it's kind of like you know the father who gets down on the floor with the with the you know the child you know see what they're up to there playing you know playing in the dirt 
And that's, that's kind of the, the imagery we have of God coming down to see. Because the people, they had forgotten God. They had chosen a different path than serving and living for God. They're like the, they're like the nation of Israel. They're the descendants of, of, um, of Seth. Several years later, when Isaiah is writing, God has brought this judgment upon the nation. In Isaiah 40, he writes, Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you, no under, have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretch out the heavens like a curtain and spread them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. So the people uh, in the time of Babel had forgotten this God and who He is. Let's look again at, uh, at our text in chapter 11, Genesis 11. Uh, verse 6 says, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they purpose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language. And by the way, the, you see that phrase again, come let us, and here before the people were saying it, come let us. Now God is saying, come let us. It may be a, an echo of the, of the, the, the creation. You remember the triune God who says, let us make man in our own image. Now we see this, this phrase and this contrast here between the two actions that sit, where God says, come let us uh, go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. One pastor writes a, a, a comment here, and I want to read it for you. He says, God, God's action in scattering the people was both a punishment and a preventative to keep man's pride from going too far. Uh, man's plans for unity and strength ultimately would have resulted in greater, greater evil because it was done in human wisdom apart from the Lord. It would have resulted in what God will one day permit the one world government and the one world religion under the total dominion of the Antichrist, end of quote. Well, Satan and the demons aren't named here in this event, but you can be sure that they were active. And they were there working and promoting the actions of Nimrod and the people to, to, to in their pride, turn away from God, to establish their own worship, and to disobey His command. Because what they wouldn't do willingly in obeying God, God now forces them to do by confounding their plans by giving them different languages. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation of what that would have looked like. 
what would have happened, but it uh, no doubt would have been um, rather humorous to see. <laughs> All of a sudden, you, you hear this different language coming from the person you knew before, worked with before, you know, hand me a brick, <laughs> and some gibberish comes back. You know, what? They, they are totally confounded about what they're saying to each other. And so they had to stop building, and eventually they had to, to separate from one another. I mean, you can't, you can't get along with somebody that you can't understand, you can't talk to. And so God purposely drove them apart from each other and would ultimately come different people groups and different nations in the dispersion of what we see in chapter 10 described there. And so verse 9 gives us a summary statement. Therefore, the, therefore its name, the name of the place, was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of, uh, the, <clears throat> confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of of all the earth. Babylon, the word Babylon is, uh, means the gate of God. And um, the tower, no doubt, played into that. Uh, the idea of this is, this is access to God. This is the, to- the, the gate of God. Well, Babel um, sounds like the Hebrew word for confusion, and so that's what it was called, the Babel. But it's the same Hebrew word that's translated um, all through the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, Babylon. Well, what happened there at the tower in this, in this disbursement of people and in the, in the rebellion of the people and this, the desire of the people to be unified in, in opposition to God and establish themselves and to build a name for themselves, that would, that would become a prototype of what would happen all over the earth of man in opposition to God. And as these people dispersed, they left with their Babylonian hearts and their, their pride and their false worship went with them. And we see in different places in that ancient world, in cities, the same kind of thing being repeated everywhere. You can see it in Egypt. They had a, a different kind of, of monuments or you know, statues and uh, pyramids and all of that, but it's still this same idea of false worship, of looking to the heavens. You see it all through Babylon and different places around the world. Even today, there is this same uh, heart the same spirit of Babylon in people's hearts today. It's the heart of pride. It's the spirit of Babylon that's, that's in the world. And, it's, and it seems to be rising up, doesn't it? We hear uh, calls for uh, you know, a spiritual and political and economic unification. The United Nations, they believe that they have the, the solution to the world's problems. They can bring about peace, but we know there will be no peace apart from the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no peace in the heart of man apart from Christ. And if you know Christ as your Savior, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You know the peace of God that He gives us when we are living 
and walking with him and fellowship with him. And so today, I believe the stage is being set for what is described in the book of Revelation. This great tribulation uh, period that's coming. And there will be a, another mighty man that comes on the scene. This man that's uh, referred to as the Antichrist. And he will be empowered by Satan. And he will unify the world around him in a political and economic and religious kingdom called Babylon. And not, the, not necessarily the place of the, of the historic Babylon, but the spirit of Babylon is there. And in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 5, this, the religious aspect of Babylon is given a name. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And when he, when he uses the word there, the mother of prostitutes, he's talking about a religious infidelity, a false worship uh, of, of a people that's turned their hearts away from God. And, and we see that going back to Babel. Babel was the birth of this Babylon, the, the mother of the religious prostitutes or the, the false religion that we see. And it's going to intensify and it will be unified in that day because God is going to allow it to happen. He's going to remove the restraints that are here in the world now. The Spirit of God is restraining evil according to God's purpose. But in that day, God is going to allow it to have full sway. He's going to allow the Antichrist to to rise up and to lead this rebellion, but it's only going to be for a short time. And then God's going to bring an end to it. Chapter 17, 18, the book of Revelation described this destruction, both, the, both the, the religious aspect and the political, the economic aspect is going to be destroyed, and God's going to establish His kingdom here on earth. For a thousand years, He's going to rule. And then He's going to establish the new heavens, the new earth, and the eternal uh, kingdom, the, 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 the new Jerusalem is going to come down and we're going to be with him forever. And then we will have what people have been wanting, but it's going to be much better than what could ever been imagined. It's going to be a unified peace and we'll be with our Lord. There'll be no more evil, no more crime. Uh, no more sin. It will be in the presence of God and His glory. Well, let me close this morning by bringing us back to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. Because God uses Nebuchadnezzar to give him praise. After Nebuchadnezzar is restored to his senses after those seven years of being out in the, out in the field, they must have hid him, had him hidden somewhere. So <laughs> So he would, everybody wouldn't see him. Maybe he's in a little, a little corral of some kind. But he's just like a, he's like a cow or a beast of some kind that's just out there on his hands and knees and eating grass. And, then, and uh, his nails growing long like an eagle's claws, you know, it says. And, and so Nebuchadnezzar is restored. Verse 34, at the end of the days, Seven years. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted 
my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing and He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay His hand or say to Him, what have you done? All, <clears throat> sorry, I meant to show you that. Let me give you the last part. And at <clears throat> the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty, my splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me. And I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the honor and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Wow, what a testimony there. The Lord changed his heart, didn't he? Uh, and the Lord's able to change our hearts. When we get lifted up with pride, the Lord is able to humble us. And so let's keep our hearts humble repentant so that God doesn't have to bring us to our knees. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You for the history that You've given us to help us to understand and to see through the progression of uh, history Your grace towards man, the sons of Adam, who in our hearts are rebellious, prideful, and turn away from You at every chance. And Lord, I thank You that in Your grace You brought the Lord Jesus Christ to earth to die for us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have a new heart, a heart that is, has a desire to live for You, a heart that has a desire to serve You. And You've given us the Spirit of God to dwell within us, to empower us, enable us as we walk with you in faith lord you you empower us that we might be able to live for you and you've broke the bonds of sin and death and the grave and you've made us your sons you've brought us into your family lord we praise you and thank you for your grace towards us and we look forward to what you're going to do in the exaltation of your name and your kingdom and we thank you, Lord, that you have invited us in to your family to be with you forever. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.